This is The Lottery Podcast on the Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. No guests this week because I got a lot of shit to say. NBA draft was last night. It was a pretty calm day up until about an hour before the first pick was made. And then suddenly we hear about two monster trades that completely shake up the top 10. The projections... I was all of a sudden under the gun rushing to uh, change my mock draft to fit it to the new draft order, which suddenly has the Atlanta Hawks picking at number four. And man, that is where the first surprise really hit me, who they ended up targeting at number four. So what I'm going to do, let's just go down all 30 picks from the first round, kind of process what each team was thinking uh, and, and evaluate and assess kind of the decision that they made. And so obviously Zion Williamson goes number one. First off, props to New Orleans for the entire week because I thought they did a tremendous job, David Griffin, taking over there, uh, getting as much value as he possibly can get in return for that Anthony Davis trade with the future first-rounders, with Lonzo, with Ingram, Josh Hart. Uh, And then he did some really cool things, I think, with that number four pick, which he uh, converted into number eight, number 17, and number 35. But, of course, the big takeaway coming with Zion Williamson a new franchise centerpiece to build around. I think he's the rookie of the year favorite. Uh, I think he will be an all-star by year number three in the NBA. And, uh, you know, time will tell to see if whether he could be an all-star or an MVP. Obviously, there's a, a big difference between the two. I know scouts who believe that he has an MVP ceiling. I'm ready to go to all-star starter ceiling. Tough to say he's going to be an MVP. That's only a handful of guys in the league reach that status. So I'm going to say that the New Orleans Pelicans just found a, uh, a player who's going to be in starting lineups in all-star games for the future. So they should feel really good about where the direction of the team is going based on what, what could have happened um, after Anthony Davis made that trade request. Moving on to number two, the Memphis Grizzlies. Taking John Morant, everybody kind of knew this was coming. Uh, Morant, particularly after, by the way, that Mike Conley trade, uh, who goes to Utah, Grizzlies got a couple of nice pieces back, um, including number 23 pick in this draft, which wound up moving up to 21. Uh, but but John Morant um, at number two gives them that potential all-star point guard. You knew they were probably never going to sign one in free agency, so to get one in the draft is key. I think they really struck and, and capitalized when they had that chance. So I thought that was the obvious move over R.J. Barrett. Um, I, in a vacuum, I'd probably go with Morant no matter what team I'm drafting for. So Morant pairs with Jaron Jackson Jr. to give them two cornerstones. Morant's going to change the entire identity of that team with his pace, with his playmaking. He's one of the best passers I've evaluated in the past several years. And we'll see how high his ceiling goes based on how much he develops as a scorer in the half court. He led the country this year in transition points. But when the game slows down, can he get his own basket, his own shot, uh, without just relying on driving it straight to the hoop and getting to the free throw line or getting laps? He's got to work on that stop-and-pop game, his mid-range game, uh, and the pull-up from behind the arc. Those are his weaknesses, and that's what's going to determine how high his ceiling goes. But at the least, I think we can expect John Morant to be one of the top assist guys in the NBA, even right away. Number three, New York Knicks take R.J. Barrett. I thought that was the obvious move. Worth listening to other offers to see if teams would really blow them away uh, to try and get R.J. Barrett, who was you know, the the number three star in this draft, one of the three guys who pops as a potential star because everyone else, you know, it's tough to tough to say. Darius Garland, he could be a good starter, but but is he a super? Is he a, a sure thing star? Jared Culver, same question. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, same question. So I think Barrett was the obvious play here. Average twenty two a game at Duke at eighteen years old to go along with the seven boards, the four assists. I think that playmaking is going to be so key for him. Uh, to show that he's a, a multi-dimensional player, not just a, a scorer. Some have compared him to Andrew Wiggins. That's just that's just inaccurate. Wiggins is one of the weakest passers. No feel. If he's not scoring efficiently, he's hurting your team. I think Barrett can help the team uh, in other ways. The question for the Knicks is how can they help Barrett? How can they surround Barrett so that he's not stuck having to create his own offense out of nothing like Kevin Knox was last year, like Frank Nilakila was, when he was a rookie, 
New York hasn't been a suitable place to develop for these young kids because they haven't had talent to play off. They haven't had veteran players to take pressure off. And at this point, it's tough to see R.J. Barrett having that next year, whether they sign Kevin Durant or not, because Kevin Durant can't play. And chances are, it's tough to see them getting another max free agent along with Kevin Durant. So there's a good chance that Barrett is left alone next year. And he was cheered last night, which was really great to see because I don't remember the last time the Knicks fans cheered a draft pick. But hopefully those cheers don't mean that the bar is too high because he is going to have some trouble with efficiency this year. And I hope the fans don't kill him for it because there's no other way around it. He's he's going to be 19 years old as the lead scorer of the Knicks. Teams are going to be you know, keen on R.J. Barrett. He's not ready for that. In fact, one of his biggest weaknesses, I think, is creating good shots for himself in the half court. Another guy who's great in transition, when he gets a step into the lane, he improvises, he finds ways to score, but he's not like James Harden. He doesn't have these go-to moves in his bag, and he's not a consistent three-point shooter. So don't expect immediate results from Barrett. Hopefully for him, for Knicks fans, for the franchise, they're able to build in free agency and give him the support that he needs. Number four is where the draft really gets interesting. The Atlanta Hawks move up from number eight to number four, and they target DeAndre Hunter. Now, I didn't really see that coming. I thought it would be Jared Culver. I have Culver higher on my board, but apparently they loved Hunter and didn't think they can get him at eight, so they made this jump. I thought it was a reach. I'm not sold on Hunter being a star player in the NBA. In fact, I see his ceiling at you know quality role player going to be 22 soon. I buy his defensive tools and versatility, and I buy the set three-point shot, although he didn't make him in volume as a second-year player. And so, uh, you know, I question whether he can create his own shot, whether he has the athleticism to beat guys, uh, to generate his own offense. And I'm not so sure that he's a a guaranteed, you know, money three-point guy. He can make the open shot, but he's got that line drive release. And again, he didn't take too many threes through two years in college, even though he was accurate. But anyway, on paper, he fits what the Atlanta Hawks need. Uh, a defensive guy to pair next to John Collins uh, in between Trey Young and Collins. Uh, and another another shooter, which is what the Hawks seem to be uh, looking for. Guys who could shoot and hopefully defend. And Hunter is going to be the guy who's going to be defending the other team's best player. So he's a safe play to me. He's the high floor guy. I just don't see the high ceiling. It wasn't my favorite pick in the draft, but... Again, he's someone you could bank on, I think, to last uh, a long time in this league, just playing to his strengths as an open shot maker, as a versatile defensive player, uh, a guy who can attack the rim in straight lines, play through contact, just a tough uh, role player. At number five, the Cleveland Cavaliers decide to keep the pick and take Darius Garland from Vanderbilt. And Garland had been generating more buzz than anyone during this pre-draft process. You know, the story only played four games at Vanderbilt before tearing his meniscus, shutting it down. And since shutting it down, the interest have seemed, seems to build. Uh, mystery seems to be fueling that interest, uh, as well as his style of play, which is a fit for today's modern game. Uh, uh, a quick point guard who could pull up from 30 feet away, uh, shake and bake, and, and generate offense away from the basket. The question with Garland is whether he can be that lead guard as a playmaker. Scouts will say, yeah, he's a shooting guard who just happens to be 6'2 and handles the ball. So you got to play him a point. You know, he had more turnovers and assists in those four games he did play at Vanderbilt. For Cleveland, you're just looking for the best player available. So assuming that's who they thought Garland was, you can't knock the strategy. Cleveland ha- doesn't have a real roster right now. You're just looking to stockpile assets, and they'll sort him out later because on paper, he does not fit with Colin Sexton. I don't know who Garland and Sexton are going to guard. They're both 6'2 and under. Neither of them are big-time defenders, so Cleveland's backcourt defensively stinks. And neither of them are high-level passers. So they have a couple scores in that backcourt who are going to put pressure on defenses, but I don't know who they're going to stop, and I don't know if they're going to find any of their teammates. But again, at the same time, Garland has the chance to be a quality starting point guard if he can figure out how to run an offense. Wasn't my favorite pick. Garland was number eight on my board. There were players I liked better, which we'll get to in a second. But this was clearly a case of the Cavaliers taking the best player available in Garland and worrying about everything else later. And we'll see later that they added a couple other picks uh, and a couple other players to add to their rotation next year. Number six, another interesting play. Minnesota Timberwolves move from number 11, move up to number six. 
I thought it was to get one of the point guards, either Gar- Garland or Kobe White. I figured that they moved up into the top six and said, you know what, let's guarantee ourselves that we can get one of these guys because Jeff Teague uh, is probably only going to last one more year in Minnesota, assuming he opts in. And so this was a chance to get your point guard of the future with Kobe White and Garland. Those are the presumed top two point guards. Uh, but they went Jared Culver, and I applaud the pick. Culver was higher on my board than either of those two guards. And though they already have Andrew Wiggins, first of all, I think they're pretty interchangeable, Culver and Wiggins. And also, this is uh, it makes Wiggins more expendable. Now, I question how many teams are going to be willing to take Wiggins via trade based on his contract. But even if they can't move Wiggins, I think Culver fits uh, as a two-way wing um, who can also generate his own offense like Wiggins, but defend and playmake. He averaged around four assists per game this year. Again, that's not Wiggins' thing. He, he doesn't make guys around him better, and that's really the knock on Wiggins. Culver led his team to the national title game this year. He transformed as a, as a freshman spot-up shooter to a sophomore lead initiator, lead scorer, and playmaker, and he put his team on his back. You love to see that jump. 20 years old, really strong physical tools, and if he could fix that jump shot, which isn't terrible. He, the makes look good. He's got a little bit of a hitch at the top of his release, but he fixes that, and that unlocks more potential, and it's a very correctable weakness. So I like what Minnesota did there, going from 11, where uh, not any obvious standout players, moving up to number six, uh, where you get Culver, who was number four on my board. So to me, that was uh, an A-grade an a type of move for Minnesota. Um, so I applaud that pick. Number seven, Chicago Bulls. I think the pick was made for them, right? When Minnesota didn't take Kobe White, Kobe White's there uh, to fall right into the laps of the Bulls who need an upgrade over Chris Dunn at point guard. Uh, He would have been my pick there as well, although I have Jackson Hayes from Texas as the better rated player. But I think in this case, you have to take fit into consideration. Chicago already has their two bigs with Markinen, with Wendell Carter. Um, and, And so here's the chance to get a point guard who gives you a much different look than Chris Dunn. Kobe White is one of the best uh, perimeter scorers in this draft. I know he needs to improve his efficiency in terms of consistent shooting, but he's clearly uh, a far superior perimeter scorer than Chris Dunn, a stop-and-pop guy, gets out in transition, was also one of the best pick-and-roll passers in the country, ranked in the 97th percentile. And he also ranked in the 97th percentile, or 95th percentile, I should say, as a spot-up shooter, which should be taken into consideration when you have Zach Levine, who also needs the ball in Chicago's backcourt and is a go-to guy. So you need guys who could play off him, interchangeable guards. Kobe White, 6'5", could play on or off the ball. I like to pick up. The Bulls were ranked number 29 in offensive efficiency last year, number 21 in pace. I think White improves both of those numbers for Chicago. So I think the Bulls came out winners last night. At number 8, the New Orleans Pelicans, who originally had the 4th pick. Now they have the 8th pick. Love what they did here with Jackson Hayes. He was my number five overall prospect, so clearly I thought this was great value. I also think he's a good fit. He gives this Pelicans team a rim protector. That was the one thing that they were missing. They have Ball and Drew Holiday in the backcourt. That's an excellent defensive backcourt. Then you have Ingram, a scorer on the wing. You have Zion, who could be a monster defensively at the four. They were just missing that center. I know Julio Okafor is back. I'm not sure how, sure how much I want to rely on him. I'm into Jackson Hayes. That's a rim protector. 3.8 blocks per 40 minutes this year at Texas. He just turned 19 years old. 6'11", and moves as well as any 6'11 guy coming out of college, as I've seen. He's a special type of athlete in terms of his movements, his quickness, his instincts. A guy who can make plays, make an impact without requiring dribbles or shots. Just run the floor, react. Easy baskets in transition. Easy baskets off lobs. Lonzo Ball is going to find him all the time. And he's going to give them that rim protector. And if there's one knock on Jackson Hayes, it's that he lacks kind of toughness, lacks strength. Well, it's a good thing he's got a 285-pounder playing next to him up front. I just think it's a good fit. I think it's what they needed. I thought he was the best player on the board. So again, props to to David Griffin, in my opinion, for not only getting a a big-time talent and trading down, getting multiple picks in the process, but a guy who fits what they actually needed. And here we are at number nine. I was hoping we wouldn't get here, but here we are. Washington Wizards at number nine, and they take Rui Hachimura. Now, this was, to me, the biggest holy shit moment 
of the draft. I did not see this coming. In fact, if we're being honest, I had Rui Hachimaya ranked in my 25 to 30 range. I know that's harsh. What's even harsher, I talked to a scout before the draft who had him ranked number 45. Now that's obviously extreme. In fact, I laughed when he said 45. It's almost like he's just trying to make a statement. He doesn't like him. There's an obvious divide on Rui Hachimura. Now, he's a great kid, great story, Japanese-born. And at Gonzaga, he averaged 20 points on nearly 60% shooting. So he was unbelievably effective in college, although it was against the West Coast Conference, uh, you know, St. Mary's. And so I think he's going to have a, a big adjustment, and I also don't think that he's a great fit for today's league. He reminds me a ton in all of the worst ways of Jabari Parker, a 6'8", mid-range, pinch-post type of guy, doesn't shoot threes, doesn't rebound at a high level, a terrible passer, and doesn't project as a defensive asset. Uh, And I just question his fit in today's league, and the Wizards, who just need a home run there at number nine, went with a guy who I think has role player potential as his ceiling. So uh, that was my first, man, I can't believe they did that moment. Uh, I'd give it a, a, you know, if we were grading draft picks, I'd give it a D. I know they couldn't have gotten him later. It's not like you could trade down for him because somebody was going to take him. There are teams that like him. I just don't. Uh, so take it, take that for what it is. We'll find out. I mean, I'm rooting for him. Great story. And the Wizards are, have been really unlucky. That John Wall trade, uh, John Wall injury. I mean, that stinks. That's just really bad luck. And they, they need to catch a break here. They didn't catch a break in the lottery. They went down to number nine. And so, uh, I mean, I hope it works out. I'm not betting on it. He was, again, I graded him as a late first-round prospect, Rui. Uh, but we'll see what happens. That, to me, was one of the, the low moments of last night. At number 10, the Atlanta Hawks. They take Cam Reddish at number 10. They kept that pick. Good for them. I had Cam Reddish ranked as a, a number six overall, or number seven overall guy on my board. I thought he's somebody they could have taken at number eight had they kept their original pick. Fits what they need. Again, just another 3 and D guy. Those never hurt to have too many 3 and D guys. I think Reddish is being a little bit undervalued. I don't buy the Paul George or Tracy McGrady comparisons that were coming out of high school. I think it, that those are lost at this point. But I do think that he's undervalued a bit in this draft. I buy the shot making two and a half threes per game at Duke. I buy his defensive upside pretty quick. 6'8", can guard multiple positions. I think it's a great fit with a guy like Trey Young at point guard. He gets those quick passes out. He's going to have a lot of open looks in Atlanta. Atlanta is a team on the rise. A lot of positive energy building there. I think a free agent, eventually a big time free agent is going to say, I want to play here with the Hawks who have Young, Collins, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. That's a fun core. Lloyd Pierce. Everybody likes Lloyd Pierce. It's just a, a positive team on the rise. I'm into that Cam Reddish pick. I thought he was the best player on the board. And somebody, again, they could have taken it number eight had they kept that original pick. And here we are at number 11. And this is just the roller coaster night. And this is the one, the part of the roller coaster where we take a little dip. And the Phoenix Suns who had the number six pick in this draft, trade down to number 11. They get Dario Sharitz in the process. Well, he only has one year left on his deal, by the way. So they trade the number six pick with the chance to draft Jared Culver, to me, the number four player in this draft. And they wind up taking Cameron Johnson from North Carolina. Funny story, a couple hours before the draft, I mock-drafted Cameron Johnson to go to the Phoenix Suns at number 32 overall. They end up taking him at number 11. Another funny fact is the fact that they traded number 32 overall. They don't even have that pick anymore because they traded it with T.J. Warren to Indiana, basically just saying, please take T.J. Warren. We'll give you the 32nd pick to do it. And I thought that pick had value, and I thought Cameron Johnson could actually be available that late. But they overdrafted him at number 11. Clearly, management liked Cam Johnson, and he's a very likable guy behind the interview table. Very mature player. He's also 23 years old, going on 24 soon, uh, midway through next season. He's skinny. There were questions about whether or not he might be red flagged medically because of hip problems. Listen, he might be a, a good shooter, and some think he's the best shooter in the draft. Maybe so, but he doesn't do anything else, and he's not going to defend at a high level. 
And I think he got him 15 picks later. And so I, I thought in terms of value, this was the worst value pick of the draft. They had a chance at top uh, six pick overall to get Jared Culver to add to that core. And instead they added a 23-year-old who can create his own shot. And uh, it was, uh, to me, the worst pick of the draft and one of the worst picks, again, in terms of value that I've seen. Now, again, he could be a decent shooter. In fact, I were talking about Cam Johnson the same way I talked about Doug McDermott coming out of college. I think they're very similar. Senior guys who are going to fit in. You can plug them and play them just based on their ability to catch and shoot off screens and off spot-ups. But unless you're Clay Thompson, your ceiling is only so high. And Cam Johnson is not Clay Thompson, I promise you. So this was, to me, uh, the weakest pick of the draft, uh, another low point um, for the Phoenix Suns, who just continued to baffle me. You know, I had Luka Doncic at number one last year. They took DeAndre Ayton. Not that Ayton's any bad, but I think they made the wrong pick there. I think they made the wrong pick again this year uh, with a different general manager in James Jones. So uh, I don't know what to say. And Dario Saric, I don't think that's enough for me, particularly on his last year of his deal, uh, for a team that just finished as poorly as they did, as if Saric is going to actually move the needle for them. Come on. So uh, a terrible job to me by Phoenix. Uh, Sorry, Suns fans. Hopefully, I'm rooting for Cam Johnson because if he struggles, he and the Suns aren't going to hear the end of it for years to come. At number 12, the Charlotte Hornets take P.J. Washington. Nothing wrong with that pick. Nothing sexy about it. He's going to be a good player, probably a, a very good role player. Um, listen, there's no obvious stars on the board, so it's not like they passed on anyone who was super can't miss. P.J. Washington is around 6'8", strong frame, 230, 7'2", wingspan, really improved this year as a three-point shooter, high IQ, very skilled player, not explosive, not a high-level shot creator, but somebody you could just say, okay, this guy's going to play in the league for 15 years. And at this point, I think Charlotte just needs a sure thing because I don't know what's going on with that franchise. Even if they do bring Kemba Walker back, I don't know how they improve. If they don't bring Kemba Walker back, they're in big trouble. I think they needed to to get a sure thing, and they did. So no problem with P.J. Washington there. He's going to be one of their best players probably pretty soon. Number 13, Miami Heat going with Tyler Hero. Uh, I had Hero going 14, so in terms of where he went, it wasn't a surprise. I didn't. Hero was not tied to Miami at all during the pre-draft process, so I just didn't see the connection. Uh, But I could see why Miami found Hero attractive. I think he is... uh, I I don't see any star potential with Hero. He reminds me a lot of Landry Shamit, who quickly became an asset this year, traded from Philly to the LA Clippers, and just uh, one of the best shooters in the draft. I know his three-point percentage in college didn't say to 35%, but his form does and as 93% free throw shooting did. Plus, 6'6", he skilled player, can handle the ball. Very good pull-up game. I think, again, he's going to be like Shamit, worst-case scenario. I know there are some out there who have mentioned Devin Booker comparisons. I'm not willing to go there. Uh, I don't think he's going to be that good as a one-on-one player. Uh, but his shot-making is going to translate. And so if you're Miami and you see an obvious guaranteed shot-maker available, why not get him in this draft again when there's just no obvious names left on the board? So I'm okay with that pick. I, I wouldn't give it an A-plus grade. I think Hero will be a, a nice contributor to them over the next couple of years, but nothing that's going to make or break the franchise. Number 14, Boston Celtics. Keep the pick, keep their first of three picks, uh, and they go with Romeo Langford. Langford, the buzz before the draft was Langford's going to slip. Now, Langford had an up-and-down freshman year. I mean, the downs were just really tied to the fact that he never blew up. He averaged 16.5 points. He's got a smooth game. He only shot 27% from three. Everyone's talking about this thumb injury that may have impacted his inaccuracy from behind the arc. Oh, he'll shoot much better once his thumb heals. He played through an injury. He's tough. Eh, I'm not so sure. I, I, I don't know about that. I, I, I still question his jump shot. I question his killer instinct. He's a bit passive. He's a bit quiet on the floor. I know there's nothing wrong with a quiet guy, but kind of reminds me of Markel Fultz in terms of his approach. Sometimes it looks like he's not trying so hard. Of course, to him, the game just comes easy, and he's a smooth player, uh, not a loud player. I have questions about Romeo. He, he he wasn't number 14 on my board, but you could see why if, if he figures out how to shoot, 
He could be a 6'6", three-level scorer and starting shooting guard in the league. Uh, wasn't my favorite pick. I won't knock Boston for taking him. Just seems like a typical Celtics pick, right? It's just another talented guard who can't shoot. But we'll see what happens. Uh, again, in terms of value, number 14, can't argue with Boston there. Number 15, the Detroit Pistons take Siku Dumboya from France. A lot of people had Dumboya as a top 10 pick. Uh, a lot of people were also hesitant. Some scouts I talked to didn't, didn't see it. Um, but in terms of the eye test, He's 6'8", 6'9", 230. Reminds a lot of people of Pascal Siakam in terms of his body. Uh, Dubois actually probably further ahead as a perimeter scorer. Shot pretty well. Had this big 34-point game in May that really turned heads. Youngest prospect in the draft doesn't turn 19 until Christmas. Um, but has a lot to learn. He's still a major project in terms of creating his own shot, in terms of making reads defensively. I know on paper it's easy to say that he can guard a couple of positions because he's 6'9 and long and he moves well. But he's got to figure out how to learn how to play defense. Um, this is going to take a while, a couple of years. I wouldn't expect immediate results. But uh, again, number 15 overall, you can't knock Detroit there. They could use some wing help. Number 16, the Orlando Magic. Was this going to be the year that they actually take a, a guard? Nope. They went with Chuma Okiki, who tore his ACL in the NCAA tournament. Now, this was one of my favorite players in the draft. I had Okiki as my 13th-ranked prospect. I don't know anyone who had him that high. I love Okiki. Before the ACL tear, he was on the rise. I love the way he fits in today's league. He's 6'8", 230, shot over 30% from three in both years at Auburn and was one of the most effective, versatile defenders in the country, guarding bigs, switching, making reads, making plays on the ball. I think it's just a, a seamless fit for today's league. Unfortunately, we won't see him for a year. And unfortunately, Orlando has so many of these bigs they're going to have to figure out, they're going to have to actually put a roster together. But again, I'll never knock a team for taking the best player available. To me, he was the best player available. So it'll be interesting to see what Orlando's roster looks like a year from now. We know Kiki can actually play. But the Magic did pass on Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who was a guard that they probably could have used. That's who I mock-drafted them to take. Uh, so oh, Kiki was an interesting pick. Uh, another big, but to me, he was the best player available. Orlando fans just have to be patient and wait for that for their rookie uh, to come in 2021. Number 17, the New Orleans Pelicans pick again after making that deal. And they get Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who I thought was going to go the pick before. Uh, I have Alexander as an early 20s guy. Number 17, not much of a difference. Gives them some backcourt versatility. He could play the one or two, 6'5", consistent three-point shooter through two years at Virginia Tech. Really improved as a playmaker this year. Virginia's point guard, Virginia Tech's point guard, Justin Anderson, got hurt with an injury, so... Alexander Walker took over, averaged four assists per game this year. Um, I think he can play on or off the ball. I, I think he's going to fit really in whatever lineup can play uh, alongside Holiday or Ball. You know, it gives them nice depth, backcourt depth. Um, so uh, another fine pick for the Pelicans. Nothing that's going to blow anybody away. I don't see any star potential there, but I think he could be a fine role player. Uh, checks a lot of boxes uh, as well as on defense. So an another guy who can actually help on defense. So I like what the Pelicans are doing. So far, through their first three picks, obviously with Zion and Hayes, and now Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And number 18, the Indiana Pacers take Goga Badazzi, the Georgian, who I had as high as number six on my draft board. That may seem crazy to some. I love Goga. He made a huge jump this season playing overseas. He was the EuroLeague Rising Star winner. He won MVP of both the Serbian League and the Adriatic League. He is around a seven-footer who really improved as a three-point shooter, and I'm buying the shooting. I just think it looks real. Also improved his footwork and hands and timing around the basket. He is, I wouldn't say he's older school because now he's shooting threes, but he doesn't move. Or he doesn't shake you off the dribble like some of these new school bigs. He's not Jokic. Uh, he's probably closer to Yusuf Nurkic. Or uh, Nikola Vucevic actually would be the guy, the European center, who I'd compare him to. This is Charlie, executive producer for Blue Wire. Unfortunately, for the next 10 minutes, there's a tapping sound. We apologize for this inconvenience, and we appreciate you listening to the lottery. It'll be interesting to see how they play him, you know, with Miles Turner. Uh, I assume Goga is going to take some, some time. You know, Turner is... is the one who's going to help them win 
right away. Although I do think Goga is, is one of the more NBA-ready guys in this draft. But again, I, I'm all for taking the best player available. I don't care that they already have a center. So I, I applaud the pick. He was the best player available to me. In fact, I would have taken him top 10. I talked to an executive uh, about a week before the draft who said he had Gogan number 7 on his board, which really just made me feel better about my ranking, honestly. That's what that did. Uh, number 19 overall, San Antonio Spurs take Luka Samanich from Croatia. Now, Samanic, he, he he came over to play at the NBA Combine, played in the first scrimmage, and was clearly the best player in that scrimmage. And that just really validated the hype coming in. Uh, the hype was kind of back and forth. Everyone know, knew about his potential. He'd been on uh, the radar for years, playing FIBA, uh, playing at a decent level overseas. Um, there were some questions about his game. I think he answered them at the NBA Combine, and, and clearly the San Antonio Spurs felt the same way. Uh, uh, 6'10", power forward, shoots threes, attacks closeouts, a strong round the basket. Uh, teenager. I, I, again, I thought he's right in that mix for best player available. San Antonio always does a great job of developing both domestic and international players. So uh, good pick for me. I rarely question what San Antonio does in the draft. They're very rarely wrong. Number 20, Philadelphia 76ers end up getting this pick from the Boston Celtics, and they take Matisse Thybul, only player in the last 25 years to average three steals, two blocks, and a three-pointer in a season. He's considered a potential defensive specialist. Whether he offers enough offensively will determine whether he's worth the number 20 overall pick. He doesn't create. He averaged fewer than 10 points as a senior at Washington. But his role will not be to put the ball down. His role will be to catch and shoot and defend the other team's best player. Very, very impressive defensive instincts. Very impressive young man. Just listen to him talk for five minutes. He's just oozing maturity. Uh, he's going to be a, a great teammate. Coaches are going to love him. So I could totally understand why Philly decided uh, to target him and move up uh, to make sure that they get him. And he's going to complement those stars, depending which stars return to Philadelphia. But he is a guy who complements your star players. Number 21, one of my favorite picks in the draft, the uh, Memphis Grizzlies, who went 23. They moved up two spots to make sure that they got Brandon Clark, arguably the best defensive prospect in this draft. Buck four and a half shots for 40 minutes this year. Switches, flies around the floor. Uh, I don't know how he lasted this long, honestly. I guess because he's going to be 23 years old. Um, that's really the big knock on him um, in terms of upside. Also, 6'8 size, 6'8 wingspan. Those are wing measurements. And Brandon Clark plays a big man position. Not a big offensive game, so he doesn't have that great upside. But again, I think he's special in terms of his role player potential, his instincts, his motor. Uh, a guy who's going to make an impact without requiring touches. And then you pair him with Jaron Jackson Jr. in that Memphis front court. And man, they can have one of the most, one of the toughest defensive front courts in the league with those two. Somebody's got to give those guys a nickname, Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark. They're going to make the hoop they're defending look tiny for opposing teams. So I love what Memphis did there with John Morant and then backing Morant up with two special defensive bigs. Number 22, Boston Celtics stick, and they take Grant Williams, another one of my favorite picks. I have him on my sleeper watch. He was number 16 overall on my board. There are teams who thought he was a, a second-rounder. Clearly some, including the Boston Celtics, who thought he was worth a pick in the 20s. May not have the highest offensive upside. I think he's another very special defensive player. Unbelievable in terms of his anticipation, his defensive IQ. Um, doesn't always show up in the box score. He's going to be a great locker room guy. Brad Stevens is certainly going to get the most of him, uh, both of his in intangibles and his defensive versatility and they're going to find ways to use him out of the post. I know the post is kind of out of touch these days, but he can do a lot of damage from that post, both as a scorer and as a passer. Number 23, Oklahoma City Thunder move back two spots, and they take Darius Baisley. A lot of buzz coming into the draft uh, hours before. A lot of scouts, executives uh, I'm talking to saying Baisley's suddenly a first-round lock, and he was. Uh, skipped Syracuse, skipped the G League, spent the year training. This was a McDonald's All-American. A lot of people questioned that process. Well, guess what? It worked. He put himself in the first round, going 23 to a pretty good team. Uh, teenager still is not going to be NBA ready. We'll probably spend next year in the G League. But you can't knock OKC for taking a chance here. I actually wasn't sure if they were going to trade out of this pick. Instead, uh, they move back two spots and take Baisley. 
uh, 6'9 forward, plays inside and out, can handle the ball. Not a great shooter, but can make open shots. Not a great shot creator, but can get his own shot. Going to the basket and, and, and certain instances separating in the mid-range. He, he's a project, but one with clear upside and, and that versatility a fit for today's league. Number 24, the Phoenix Suns get a pick from the Boston Celtics. It costs them a Milwaukee Bucks pick in the future, but they get Ty Jerome, and everybody likes Ty Jerome. He may not have any upside, but Ty Jerome, a lot of people just see him as a good role player in the league, and Phoenix needs that. So this is one of the, the positives, I guess you could say, of Phoenix's night. Jerome, uh, you know, on, on the, the, the national champion Virginia, uh, a combo forward, a good decision maker, an excellent point guard, passer, doesn't have that point guard blow by speed. He's not going to break you down off the dribble. But a very good passer off the dribble in terms of IQ, in terms of making reads. Uh, very few mistakes from Jerome. Consistent outside shooter can be a pest defensively. So he kind of fits what they're looking for. Um, and, and you're going to pair him with Devin Booker. Uh, it makes sense on paper that, that Jerome's a guy who doesn't need to dominate the ball. You can still let Devin Booker dominate and, and generate most of that offense. Number 25, Portland Trailblazers stick and they take... Uh, Nazir Little, who falls all the way down to 25, uh, invited to the green room. Obviously not the night he was hoping for, but I think a pretty good fit in Portland, who, who could use um, uh, another combo forward, even though Aminu has done a nice job there. Little can learn behind Aminu, actually similar type players. Little has those tools, he's just got to figure out how to use them. 6'6", 225, 7'1", wingspan. He shot really well in, wor- in workouts, but apparently that didn't matter. What really matters is what happened in the games, and he came off the bench to only play 18 minutes per game at North Carolina. He needs to improve his feel for the game, but this late, the potential reward tied to his talent is worth the risk tied to his limited production in college and his inability to make good reads as a shot creator um, and as a defender. Again, this is talent. This is up to Portland's coaching staff now to unlock it. Number 26 overall. Cleveland Cavaliers, with their second pick, they take Dylan Windler. Windler's camp was sure he was going in the first round, and they were right. Windler, one of the most efficient off-ball players in the country this year, ranked in the 99th percentile at a Belmont in half-court offense. Good pick for Cleveland. They could use a guy like him, even if he doesn't have major upside. Who does this late? Excellent spot-up shooter, excellent cutter. Doesn't put the ball down and create that much, but uh, this late, I think you're nitpicking if that's your big concern. 6'7", better athlete, been advertised. Um, I don't know how effective he's going to be defensively, and I don't know how effective he's going to be you know, as a creator. But if you get the right guys around him, he's going to be a very serviceable role player, I think, on his rookie contract. Number 27 overall, the Los Angeles Clippers make a deal to take the Brooklyn Nets pick, and they take Fiondu Cabangeli out of Florida State. We all thought he was going to go higher. He was a big riser, had big NCAA tournament, averaged 17 points, three games. ACC six man of the year, 6'10", 250, 5.4% body fat, unbelievable physical tools and body. Shot pretty good this year from downtown, 24 of 65 from three, shot 76% from the free throw line. You combine that impressive physical profile with that perimeter shot making ability, that points to potential and upside, even though another guy who's feel for the game is weak, not a good passer, not a guy who's going to put the ball down on the floor. Should have been a better defender than he was. But this late, uh, I think it was a fine pick for the L.A. Clippers. Number 28, Golden State Warriors make a surprise pick in Jordan Poole. Actually, I had been taking Poole, but at number 41, which they traded up for. Poole is a guy, listen, they're looking for offense. Clay Thompson out for next year. KD out for next year. Clearly, they were targeting somebody who could put the ball in the basket, and that is Jordan Poole's strength. He actually reminds me a lot of Nick Young. Uh, a one-on-one guy who creates his own shot, a microwave scorer, can catch fire and put up points in bunches, can also make a lot of mistakes, but, uh, uh, you know, you put him on the short leash coming off the bench, he's really built for that six-man role, maybe not next year, but I think the Warriors will value his ability to make shots, uh, and I think Jordan Poole will, va- will certainly benefit from going to a good team like Golden State, who can also allow him to play to his strengths. Number 29, the San Antonio Spurs with their second first-round pick. They take Keldon Johnson, who slips all the way to the end of the first round. I had Johnson at number 34 on my board, so this isn't a big surprise for me. Keldon Johnson has that NBA body, excellent attacking downhill, getting to the basket, and shot a decent percentage from downtown. However, he can't create, he can't pass. 
I don't buy his three-point shooting just yet. He didn't take many threes. Uh, and that form, to me, I think is going to cause him trouble when the NBA has a deeper arc. Even though defensively he has good tools, he's a very competitive kid. I don't think he was as effective as he should have been. I think Johnson's going to take a long time if he's going to be a solid rotation player. Uh, this was not my favorite pick of the draft, even though this late you can't knock any real decision. Uh, but the only reason I knock it is because of who went number 30, and that's Kevin Porter Jr., who went to the Cavs. Cavs took the Detroit Pistons pick. The Detroit Pistons took the Milwaukee Bucks pick. I, this is one of my favorite picks of the draft. I had Kevin Porter Jr. as a lottery pick on my board, uh, but he slipped because of maturity issues. He got suspended during the season. Um, his impact was up and down. And so I guess I guess that's understandable. Uh, you know, He's not a true professional in terms of his approach, but he's young. I mean, who is? And I, at this point, I think you buy the talent. He's one of the best shot creators. He's 6'6". He's super athletic, very advanced in terms of his skill level. The question is, can he convert that skill and talent into efficiency and wins? This late, it's certainly worth the gamble. Um, I, again, he was number 14 on number 13 on my draft board, so I thought this was one of the best value picks of the draft. doesn't exactly fit John Beeline, Beeline's uh, offensive system uh, in terms of ball movement. He's a more of a one-on-one guy, so we'll see how this works out. But the Cavaliers just need to stockpile talent, and I thought they got plenty of talent with the last pick of the first round. On to round number two, where Bull Bull is still on the board. I'm just going to go down the list and pick out my favorite second-round picks, or the noteworthy ones. And number 31, Brooklyn Nets. Remember, they traded number 27, so important that they get a good player at number 31. And I thought they got first-round value, and Nick Claxton from Georgia invited to the green room. I am going 21 to OKC. Didn't happen. A lot of people thought he was a big riser, particularly after the NBA Combine. Reminds me a lot of Kevon Looney in terms of the role he's going to play at the next level. A big guy who switches and defends all positions, but is kind of limited offensively. It doesn't look like Rondé Hollis Jefferson will be back in Brooklyn. So Claxton gives him a a similar type of uh, multi-position defender who's limited offensively. Uh, Again, I think this was really good value for Brooklyn at number 31. At number 32, Miami Heat take Casey Akpala from Stanford. A lot of people have him as a first-rounder. He was uh, high 30s on my board. Not a big fan, but totally fine with taking him at number 32. Uh, 6'9", face-up score. I just think he's too raw. Doesn't offer enough as a creator or spot-up shooter. Uh, so we'll see what happens in Miami. He's going to be a project. Wouldn't have been my pick, but I could totally see why Miami took him. 33, Boston Celtics acquired this pick from the Philadelphia 76ers, and they take Carson Edwards. I can already see Carson Edwards giving teams problems in the playoffs. Coming off Boston's bench in that six-man role like Lou Williams. A big-time shot maker. Six feet was the big knock. 200 pounds is the big plus. He is strong. He's built like a house. And he could catch fire and shoot from 30-plus feet away. A big-time pull-up score. Not very efficient inside the arc. Not much of a playmaker, but that's not why you add him. You add him to make shots. And I think he's going to be able to do that and, and give Boston a, a nice weapon off the bench. Bruno Fernando, Hawks acquired the number 34th pick. I like Bruno Fernando. In fact, I talked to an executive before the draft who had him top 10. I thought that was a little too much. I had Fernando uh, around the 20 range, but I thought that was good value for Atlanta. Um, A competitive, uh, destructive player around the basket. One of the strongest players in this draft. Reminds me of Montrez Harrell from LA Clippers. So I thought that was a pretty good pick. Uh, Moving down the board, the Bulls take... Daniel Gafford at number 38. Uh, he's a high-profile guy because he was a potential lottery pick last year. He decided to come back, and he kind of lost his appeal as a sophomore. Uh, a seven-footer, a big-time finisher, but doesn't do anything else in terms of creating shots, in terms of making shots. His block rate went down this year. I think best-case scenario, he's a backup center. Not an exciting pick, but again, at this point, you're just looking for contributors. The big storyline still is that Bull Bull is on the board at number 38 overall. The Chicago Bulls passed him up along with a dozen of other teams. Moving down, number 41, Golden State Warriors acquired this pick to move up, and they take Eric Pascal from Villanova. Combo forward. Uh, some had him going in the first round. I didn't. I have some questions about him. He's 23. 
I'm not really sure what his bankable skill is, but 6'8", strong, explosive, improved shot maker. Anyone who goes to, to Golden State, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I get excited about because I think when you put him in, a, in a, an atmosphere like that with shot makers and players, even without KD and Clay, I think they have a good chance at catching fire or finding a role there just like Kevon Looney did. So we'll see what happens, Pascal. Um, finally, Bobo, number 40 overall, the Denver Nuggets grabbed the pick. This was brutal to watch. If you were paying attention, if you stayed up this late to watch the NBA draft, Bullard walked out of the room, by the way, after the first round with a mug on his face. I don't blame him. NBA's got to find a way to fix this because he shouldn't be, you know, that was embarrassing. It was, it was tough, tough to watch. His interview was tougher to watch. He didn't want to talk. It was like he could barely get his mouth to make a smile. And so he still goes number 44 to the Denver Nuggets, who coincidentally took Michael Porter Jr. last year at 14. They stopped his slide. So I think we kind of have a feel for what the Denver Nuggets mindset is, fine value. And Bobo, uh, during this slide, I texted scouts and executives around the league, and they all were texting me back the same thing. Motor, uh, foot problems, does he love the game? Can he hold up physically? Nothing really new. You know, all the same stuff that we already knew about. Um, but at the same time for me, he's 7'2". He shot 13-25 from downtown before breaking his foot in the ninth game. He was averaging 21 points a game. He's super fluid, super skilled offensively. He's got a 7'8 wingspan, which is good for shot blocking, whether he knows how to defend or not. Um, I, I thought the potential reward is worth the risk here uh, with him in the late 20s. And now here he is going 44 behind guys like Justin James from Wyoming, Admiral Schofield, who I don't really see as an NBA player from Tennessee, Jalen Noel from Washington with the pick before him. I mean, these are guys who I think are fringe NBA players. I think there's a lot more potential tied to Bull Bull, obviously a lot more risk. But this is the time to take the risk. And in particular, Washington, the Washington Wizards had number 42nd pick. They they should be swinging for the fences. I mean, who cares if they get an 8th, ninth man off the bench like Admiral Schofield? Go for Bull Bull. Make that swing. I I'm just so shocked how far he fell and how scared teams were of him. Um, so that was one of the more, that was, uh, again, another low point of the draft. And uh, I'm, ho- I, you know, now I'm rooting for both, right? I'm rooting for him to prove teams wrong and, and, and to show them that the concerns were overblown uh, because they did go back to high school. This was these concerns about whether he loves the game, whether he plays hard and his sense of urgency. These are things we were talking about before he got to Oregon. He didn't have that full season to dispel these myths, or not myths, uh, beliefs, I'd say. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, I thought that was a fine pick for, for Denver, and again, one of the value picks of the draft. Los Angeles Lakers trading up for number 46 to get Talon Horton Tucker from Iowa State. He was on my first-round board for most of the year. Really interesting-looking player, 6'4", 238. Very strange, strangely shaped Guard with a seven foot wingspan, not a big time athlete, but skilled off the dribble, can create his own shot, can shoot from NBA range, wasn't very efficient, had uh, was recently uh, charged for um, for theft, uh, stealing something minimal, you know, something stupid that probably killed him during this pre draft process. Uh, I, I think at 46, it was good value. He's the youngest NCAA player in the draft, not an excuse um, for what he did. But I think, again, the potential reward's worth the risk. And uh, he's got the chance to be, uh, you know, a couple years down the line, a a disruptive defender, um, a versatile offensive player. And, uh, you know, you put him on the team with veterans like AD and LeBron, and maybe he learns, you know, how to be professional, learns how to be a grown man. So I, I, I don't know. I thought that was a good pick. One of my favorite picks, hey, the Knicks fans, one of my favorite picks of the draft, was Iggy Brasdakis, number 47. Knicks had the 55th pick. They made sure to get Brasdakis by moving up to 47. He's one of those guys where if he's on the other team, you want to kick his ass. And if he's on your team, you're happy. He's super competitive. He's in your face. He's screaming. He's a 6'7", versatile scorer. My knock on him is, first of all, he's not great athletically, so his efficiency might drop, and he might not be a plus defender. And he also averaged fewer than one assist per game. 
so he, you know, in terms of his overall versatility is limited, but his scoring versatility, he can get you a bucket in a lot of different ways. He also has a history with R.J. Barrett. They were both on the Canadian U-17 team in 2016. They were Canada's leading scorers. You got to love the, the chemistry there. Uh, Brasdakis was um, in the 40, low 40s for me on my board. Uh, and I, I just think he's an NBA player. Now, even if it's uh, you know a backup, I, you, know, you get a backup this late. You come out of the draft as a winner. So uh, I, I like what the Knicks did there with, with Iggy Brasdakis. I think he gives something that the Knicks fans haven't had, and that's a tough guy asshole. And uh, you know we talk about the 90s Knicks with Oakley and Mason. This will, this will give him some, some of that flavor. Uh, I'll remember some of that tough guy uh, mentality because that's what he is. He's going he's gonna to cause a lot of problems next year. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody takes a swing at him. But uh, somebody you want in your locker room, not necessarily somebody you want to play against. Number 48, Los Angeles Clippers. Take Terrence Mann from Florida State. One of my favorite players in the draft. Uh, I had to write an article right before it on my top five sleepers, and I picked Terrence Mann as one of them. And I think he went to a great fit uh, to really unlock his glue guy potential. Nothing special in any one area. Just a mature player, makes the right decisions constantly. If he can make enough open jump shots, I think he's going to stick for a, a long time. And I think Doc Rivers is going to get the most of him. So I, I love that pick. I love the situation. I'm looking forward to seeing Terrence Mann's development, a guy who just makes the right pass, makes the right cut, finishes effectively around the basket. Very tough defender. Just one of those guys, those jack-of-all-trades glue guys who I think is going to last a long time if you found the right fit, and I believe he did. And the last guy I'll mention um, that stands out to me, Justin Wright Foreman, number 53, going to the Utah Jazz from Hofstra, uh, one of the top scorers in the country. I believe there's a second-leading scorer behind Chris Clemens uh, from Campbell. Oof, man, if you watch Wright Foreman, he can put up points in bunches, can create his own shot. A great shooter off the dribble. That's going to be his role in the NBA. If he can stick, that's going to be his calling card. Hop in the game, make shots, generate offense the way Isaiah Thomas did. Uh, and so I thought that was a, a good pick that late, an interesting pick for the Utah Jazz. And that wraps it up. It was an unpredictable draft. It was fun to watch. It took way too damn long. I mean, usually I'm in the studio. We usually do a, a studio show for Bleacher Report, but not this year. So this is the first year I got to actually watch the draft. And man, I felt like I was watching for 10 hours. They got to find a way to cut it short. But a fun night. It's going to be really exciting to see how these players develop with their new teams, their new teammates. And guess what? Summer League is only a few days away. <laughs>